0: LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over seventy percent of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/slash/recommend today.
1: Welcome back, Sports to the Max News Talk eight three zero WCCO. You're home to the Minnesota Twins who are off all. I never remember five days off for the All Star break. Uh, but they are. Um, joining us in the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline. I've been anxious to talk to him since uh, this weekend series and watching what went on with the Minnesota Twins. Uh, a guy that played for the Minnesota Twins in the Oakland A's and was an all-star MVP and a world champion and much more. Terry Steinbach, nice enough to join us. Uh, Terry, L.A., man, um, they didn't pack it for the uh, Home Run Derby, maybe because it's a, a different time difference out there. But you played in L.A. in the, in the World Series, in the famous Gibson Home Run uh, Series. W- w- what is it like to play out there in L.A.?
2: Uh, it's a lot of fun. I mean, uh, L.A. is what it is. I mean, um, exactly like you're saying, people leave early. It's all about the clock. It's about the freeway. It's hmm. about um, rush hour and everything. But... Um, they do have a extremely rich tradition, you know, about baseball.
1: What was your favorite stadium to play in? Outside of you know, you know, your home stadium? You know,
2: Matthew, yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, to me, um, Camden Yard was one of the first stadiums yeah. that um, did a, a, a beautiful stadium, beautiful locker room, beautiful batting cages, and on top of it, made a beautiful area all the way around Camden Yard. Yeah. So that was one of the first that, as a player, you know, we stayed at the hotel, you walked, to a couple yep. of restaurants on your way to the field, grabbed a quick bite to eat, went to the field, played your game after the game. You worked your way back to the hotel, stopped for a few, few refreshments. But the whole area around the stadium, the, the, the whole community was, uh, was, was very nice, you know. So it was... It was a lot
1: of fun. Yeah, they did urban ballpark but alright, the Twins fall on their face against the White Sox and struggled before that, mainly in the form of pitching, they've given them a lot of runs uh, over the last couple of weeks and, and obviously you know, we, we look immediately at the starting pitchers and the relief pitchers and we complain about the bullpen and all these things, uh, I always wonder sometimes, is it the bullpen or is it the fact that starters don't pitch longer into a game and, and anybody can have a good bullpen if they have good starters, I don't know what, what have you seen over the last two weeks?
2: Well, I just think that yes, it's been a combination of things. I think it's uh, proven that the bullpen can be susceptible. Uh, you know, they 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 they've, they've blown some games. You know, they've given up some runs in in bad times. Um, and you know, again, that that's going to cost you. Now, on the flip side of that, when you're when it's a team, when you got 25 guys working together, if you see your bullpen struggling. That's kind of on some of the teams that I've been on. That's when the starters kind of grab their bootstraps a little bit and said, all right, I'm going to take us, you know, a solid six, seven, maybe eight innings, maybe even a complete game, you know, to take the, the pressure off the bullpen a little bit just to, just to give them a chance to breathe. And, and what's happening the last two weeks is. The bullpen has struggled a little bit. The starters are not going as long as I think people would like them to see, and that maybe, maybe by design. I mean, we've had many conversations about the analytics. None of us agree with it. I, I don't quite understand it. Mm-hmm. You know, pitchers get that one time, one and a half times to the order, and okay, we got to take them out whether they're dealing or or, or not. You know, the, the the computer says you're done.
1: Yeah, I, I, for sure, and and the reason I think about it a lot is I saw Jim Cott going here to get his number retired, and we start looking at his numbers and how many complete games he had, and, and you go, well, he must have wore out pretty soon. No, he pitched 25 years in the big leagues. I, I just don't know, uh, Terry, but I'm very interested in what you have to say about that, because uh, some of the guy Bert Blyle is another one, I, I mean, they, they have complete games, but they also have really long careers, which tells you it didn't affect their arm like we tend to think it does right now in terms of how long we let guys pitch. Uh, do you think everybody's just built differently, or do you think that at this day and age, uh, guys, I, I mean, whether they say, you know, they might go in there and say, I'm planning on pitching a complete game, but nobody plans on pitching a complete game anymore.
2: Well, let's throw another guy from IR. Let's throw Nolan Ryan in there. Too. Yeah, I mean, come on, forty-five years old, he's throwing one hundred miles an hour, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think it's a combination of things, Mike. I think the, the the veteran guys that we're talking about, those old guys, when they took the ball, Bert's a great guy to talk to about it, and, and and Jim was too. You know, it, it, it was their game. They had they're going the whole game. That there was no no intention of coming out of that game. So I think they were programmed, number one to go a whole game. Two, I think they condition themselves to figure out how to how to go whole game. And I think you got the two things going against us right now that pitchers, I mean, are programmed right now. I mean Two times through the order. I mean, we're in the World Series, and and the horses are going four innings. You know, and, and I'm scratching my head at that. I mean, you know, we always had a picture to that. You know, you get to the fourth, fifth inning, often they're looking over the shoulder of the bullpen, like, "Hey, Skip," you know, "Okay, I got my five innings. You, yep. you know, I think I'm done here." But right. It's it's yeah, and, and and I think you're right. I, I I think they need to be programmed differently. And and, and then I always hate to say this, but. You dump the. And I have nothing against money, Mike. Nothing. Yep. I think the players make as much as they can. But as an organization, you dump that much money into a guy. I know. talking pitchers here. We don't want to take the chance of blowing this guy. Yeah, out. it's it's to
1: counter stuff. to your yeah. investment, right? I mean, you spend yeah. a lot of money, so now you play them less.
2: Exactly, and and, and you I, you know I I remember every time we ran into a, a an issue in 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 Oakland days, you know. Dave Stewart said, give me the ball, boys. You know, he wanted to change that losing streak in, into a running, uh, winning streak. Brad Ratke, when I was catching for, for for the Twins, was that guy. If we if we were on the bubble a little bit, give the ball to Brad. Everybody knows, hey, this is our chance to win. We're going to win this, and let's get back on the positive side of winning again.
1: Okay, so, so I'm going to give you another. I'm going to give you the edited version when I asked another guy about that, and the guy's name was Jack Morris. And, <laughs> and Jack used to say, when he saw Sparky come out, he would be beside himself, and he'd say, you're going to put that blinkity-blinkity-blank yeah. into in save my game? <laughs> you want well, him to I pitch, pitch instead of me? Let's go, let's go to the 10th inning of the World Series. Yes, exactly. Now, World now, now, man man now. <laughs> which is I one of the greatest the stories of all time. I'm but if did if you if ever have conversations back. like that oh my where my my you're back. sitting out there and La Russa comes out and the starting pitcher says, you got to be kidding me.
2: Yeah, you know, it, and and that's what you want. I mean, the yep. managers want that guy. Now, hey, if it's the first part of the season, hey, I'm taking you out because I want you fresh in October, you yep. know. So, so the, you know, there is some rhyme or reason that goes on, but you want that guy that wants to be out, that wants the ball, and knows he can go a solid seven, eight, nine innings and get that win for the club.
1: Terry Steinbach is our guest. So, Terry, with that in mind, if you're playing GM for the Twins right now, what are you looking at? Is it just bullpen arms? What are you looking at right now?
2: I think it's really, really hard uh, for a ball club when you lose games in that eighth and ninth inning. I mean, th- those are tough pills to swallow. When the season's over, regardless of where you finish, up, down, sideways, whatever, you always look back and say, hey, how about those five, seven, nine, ten, twelve 10, 12 blown games that we gave up in the seventh, eighth, ninth inning? Those are the ones that I think come back to haunt you. So I think if I'm the GM right now, I, w- I would try to solidify that part of the bullpen right now. Try to, try to get something going where we got three consistent guys, you know, uh, seventh, eighth, and, and, and a closer there. Grant looks like he potentially can, can be that guy. So, I, you know, I, when you have that lead, you know, that's the one you can't give up. And, 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 and the, the winning teams that I played on and the winning teams that beat us, I mean you got the seventh, eighth, ninth inning and the other teams got the lead. Let's go to the Yankees with uh Rivera. I mean, forget it boys. I mean yeah. I mean as much as we want to beat Rivera, that's a that's a tough task.
1: Yeah, there was a couple of flamethrowers uh right in front of him usually as well. Do you think had they kept Taylor Rogers that would have drastically changed where they're at right now?
2: You know, hindsight is tough, Maxie. I mean, yes, if we if we uh calculate that he is gonna do exactly what he's doing in San Diego with the Twins? Oh, absolutely, we should have given up, and especially what we got for him, you, you know. Yeah. Um, but you don't know that, you know, when 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 you're sitting there in February, March, April, and you got to pull the plug on, on 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 a deal like that, you know, you hope that the guys you're getting are going to do well, and you might maybe have a you have a ceiling on 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 Rogers that didn't think he could, you know, break through that ceiling and. Obviously, he's proven things wrong. And also, I, 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 I'm always in favor of, of, of guys uh, getting a different look. And I'm going to throw, you know, the big one out there, David Ortiz. He was yeah. a teammate of mine. And, man, we could yeah. not keep that guy on the field on the metronome. You know, I mean, he was, he was big and the turf was hard on his knees and he was kind of broken up anyway. And he goes to Boston. I mean, literally, I think we gave him the Boston. And, oh, my God, he's an MVP and he's a Hall of Famer. A Hall
1: of Famer. You know, the rest is history. Yeah, I mean, did you see anything from him? I mean, I mean, obviously you knew he could hit, but he sprayed the ball more than he hit just for power. And you know, he'll say that he started swinging from his hips or from his heels when he went to Boston. And they said, "Have that," but that's a tough, a left hander to hit a lot of home runs uh, at, as you, as you know. Did, did you see
2: high potential when he left? What did you think? I'm going to be honest with you, Max. You know. Because he was playing on turf and he was broke a lot. I mean, yep. you know, the turf back then we didn't have the good soft turf that they have now. Um, it was harder. His knees were hurting. His ankles were hurting. It was tough to keep him on the field. And and, and if you're not feeling good, you know, I mean, if you're if you're sore, you're not you're not going to be able to to perform. So I think for him going to Fenway, get him on natural grass. Number one, number two, he gets off to a good start, and the organization loves them. The fans love him, and he turns into that leader. Of, of 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 the Red Sox, and he brings home those World Series, and and anybody knows, you know, the East Coast team, if you can bring home a World Series <laughs> and break God. the curse in the process, right? The president, you know, <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> and he could, man. He he had some kind of charm about him. Now, Gary Sanchez is a catcher. It looks like uh, with Jeffers out, they're going to need a different another one for the next eight weeks, and either from within or somewhere else. Who is you ident- knowing what you know about Sanchez, uh, what does he need with him to complement him if he becomes your number one catcher?
2: Well, I think, one, he, he's going to need durability because, you know, let's face it, you're, you're going to go down the second half right now. You don't really want to be breaking in another guy and have another guy have to learn the rotation. So we're going to have to get a lot of games out of him. So, so he's going to have to be durable, number one. And then two, you know, he's going to have to perform, you know, and it might not necessarily be all offensive. You know, everybody thinks, oh, you, you know, you, you got to hit the home runs, you got to drive, drive the guys in. Behind the plate, if you can make that pitcher feel comfortable when he's out there throwing, that's the number one job of the catcher. When that starting pitcher gets out and the reliever comes in, now his job is to make the next guy feel as comfortable as he can, like he's the most important thing in, in, in the world. And
1: kind of like I got you, huh? When you come in, don't worry about it. I like, got you just say I'll put the right number
2: down and you hit it. Exactly. And that's part on the field, that's part off the field, that's part in the airplane, flying to places, that's part taking a guy out to dinner. You know, you want you want that pitcher to have all the confidence in the world and you got a guy in third base and in our area, you want to throw that fourth ball, throw it. I got it. Yep. It's not getting by me. I yep. mean if that's your outfit, you throw it every dang time. I'm gonna block it, we'll throw the guy out at first. Don't worry about it. As compared to, you know, the pitcher's got a little reservation out there about, hey, can that guy block and I'm not comfortable throwing to this guy. My out pitch is this pitch. I, I you know, and, and that leads to not throwing the best pitch in that particular situation. So he's just going to have to get comfortable with those guys and he's he's going to have to catch, and you know, and, and let's face it, he's going to have to suck it up. You know, those dog days of August come up, you know, that hard stretch, you know, sprinting into September, he's going he's gonna to have to be out there. Explain, you know, we
1: saw what the White Sox did to him, and that is your manager, your connection to your teams, is Tony La Russa, and he's managing the White Sox again. Of course, they won it last year, and now they're knocking on the door again. Uh, he, he hasn't really given in to all the analytics of baseball to the degree that others have. What what have you seen from him in his comeback with the White Sox?
2: I got to go spend a little bit of time with him on Saturday. You know, they, they, they still let old guys go see old managers, you know. So I, so I talked to him for a while, and yeah, he he's all about winning. All right, what's winning baseball? Okay? And to me winning baseball is and and this is a philosophy that he drilled into us was you get a guy on second, lead off double, you get him over, you get him in. I don't care how. You want to bunt, bunt, you want to hit and run, hit and run. You, you know, you want to hit the hit hit the ball the other way, do it. But you have to get that guy to third. Next guy coming up. I don't care how you get that guy in. Get him in. And that's what Tony really preaches and that's what he's got the guys buying into and you know they went through some injuries early they had some guys underperforming early but um, he seems to you know at least sprinting into the all-star break which he stresses a lot of i'm sure they had meeting 7 to 10 days you know before the all-star break and his, his message was look guys let's sprint into that thing let's 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 make a point here and he's got the guys playing well now the question is going to be can those guys stay healthy can can he keep doing, can the guys keep doing what they're doing? But they're buying on to Tony's philosophy of of, of, of winning baseball. And it was very evident last year, you know, how, how they won the division. It didn't pan out from that first round of playoffs, but he's got them doing it again.
1: Yeah, Tim. And- he's got some special players there. with Tim Anderson and Abreu and uh, uh, Robert looks like he's coming to his own. Jimenez is hurt. Uh, obviously, Vaughn had a big uh, series, but uh, Seats and Lance Linden pitched very well. But I mean, they, when they when they put that thing out there and it's fortified, that that's a pretty good roster.
2: Absolutely, and you know I think you're starting to see it. I don't know their exact stats. They, they they took three out of four from Minnesota. I think uh, you know what seven out of ten, eight eight out of ten. You know, their last ten games, they they put themselves right into contention going into the all-star break and that's you know that's more than you can ask for a manager now he'll have a speech right after the all-star break i could probably say it verbatim you know <laughs> hey first half was great way to go pat yourself on the back but we haven't done nothing yet you know so what we did in that first half won't mean anything if we don't continue to carry on in that second half
1: is is his magic strategy or is it the way he handles players
2: um, it's the way he handle players. I mean, I, I, you know, when you watch how many strategic moves that really impact a game through the course of nine innings, there's really not that many. TK has said this many times. Tony has said it. Sparky said it. I mean, the best, TK says the best game he's ever had when he sits down and let the boys play. Yeah. So it's really how, uh, Tony communicates with the players. I can really remember him, you know, going around every game. You know, to every group of players, you know, you got the infielders are taking their ground, the outfielders have a lot there, catches were bebopping around, and he'd come to every group. How are we doing today? What do you guys think? And then, or he'll say, ah, I'm really worried. What are you, what are you worried about today? Well, Steiny, you won four for five last night. That means you ain't going to be worth a crap today. You know what I a Little challenge, huh? Yeah, he found his way to challenge you, you know, and he had different messages for all 25 guys. And I guarantee you that's the same way he's walking through uh, batting practice during, during the uh, White Sox VP. Wow.
1: Jerry, always great to visit with you. And, uh, uh, you know, we'll do it again soon. I didn't even get a chance to talk to – got to ask this one last question because you were an all-star MVP. I've talked to you about the past. What is this like for a player to walk out there on the field tomorrow night when you're an all-star?
2: It is fantastic. I did get to see Luis Arri, and I congratulated him the other day on yep. that. And I said, take it all in. I yep. mean, it is you know the first time there. It's extremely intimidating because all the superstars that you're admiring <laughs> are your teammates. All those great hitters, you know, the Pucks, the Juniors, the Ripkins, the guys that you're trying to get mm-hmm. out. You're in the lineup with them, <laughs> you know, yeah. and and the rotation that you get to catch. I mean, it's like, oh man, give yeah. me this thing all year. You yeah. know? So no, it's 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 really great. It, it, it's a lot of fun. It's um, it's it, it, you know when we played, it was meaningful because whoever won hosted, you know, got the advantage. You know, American League, National League for for, for the World Series. But anyway, it, it, it's still fun. And 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 I told Luis, enjoy the heck out of it, take it all in because it's going to be a very memorable experience for you. For sure, Terry. Thank you so much. Always fun. Always a pleasure, Matthew.
1: You take care. You too. One of the best that uh, guy. I love having that guy on. Terry Steinbach breaking down all of it because he can break down. He was a coach. He was a player. He was all those things. <clears throat> and he's from Newall, Minnesota, not far from Gaylord, Minnesota. So he gets a special uh, uh, dispensation as well. Take a break. I'll tell you. I, I went to the uh, the most memorable All Star game that I ever attended. When we come back, stay with us. Twenty years ago. The uh, World Series was held, or the World Series, the All-Star Game was held in Milwaukee. Bud Selig was the commissioner. It was a gift to Bud, and obviously their new stadium they had built there, Miller Park. And um, it was our way of saying, Commission, we owe you one. You've done a lot for us. Take the All-Star Game. They would have got it anyway because it was a relatively new stadium. And I remember going with one Sid Hartman. He and I drove down to Milwaukee. And my most memorable times with Sid Hartman Uh, were not the times i spent with him on the air and um, there were plenty of those and there's lots of tapes that you can look at of those we did a tv show together for 20 years for crying out loud uh, with pat Roycey and dark star for 15 of them um and there was a lot of fun there and we did a lot of sports huddles together and we were on the radio a lot together but the most fun i ever had was sid hartman was when I'd go places with him long distance in the car. He always had me drive because he didn't you know he didn't like driving if he didn't have to, but he always wanted to go in his car because he had all this stuff in his car. He didn't know where it was, but he knew it was in the car somewhere so that if he had to access it he could find it somehow. And he didn't want to not have, you know, his tape recorder or his whatever. his car phone worked a certain way that he knew how it worked. And I remember we went there to that all star game it was kind of a big thing because the Twins were being recognized uh, in, in, you know, this is when they had the turnaround in 2001, and now in 2002, they're one of the better teams in the American League, and, and Hunter gets the call, and Eddie Guardado, I believe, and AJ Pruszynski were the ones that were, uh, got a chance to play, and we went there the night before when they're taking batting practice before the home run derby, and I mean, those three guys were giddy. I mean, they were sheepish, they were, you know, what am I doing here kind of a thing. And uh, they're gonna have the home run derby, and I, I remember afterwards talking to AJ Presinsky about catching Mariano Rivera, and he said Rivera just said to me, "Hey, just put the glove where you want it, whatever you think. I'll hit it. Just set the glove up wherever you think this hitter's vulnerable. You put the glove there, and and, and don't worry, I'll, I'll do the rest." and that was Mariano Rivera, of course, and and he said it was just amazing. All I did was set my glove up, and he'd throw the split finger, whatever he wanted, um, and and he'd throw it where he wanted to, and then that was the game that Torrey Hunter made the catch on Barry Bonds. Uh, Took the home run away, Bonds grabs him as he's coming off the field. That was probably the signature moment, but there, there were a couple other things that happened during that. Number one was the night of the home run derby. There was a uh, there, there were parties afterwards. So Sid and I were going to go to the parties where Bud Selig was, Andy McPhail, and all these people. And there was a torrential downpour. I mean, uh, I, I'm talking about a gully washer. And the tents just weren't holding up. It was just terrible. Everybody had to go inside. And it was, you know, obviously it's an all-star celebration, except the, the thunderstorm was so big that you couldn't do anything with it. And it just opened up. The skies opened up. And there was nothing you, you could do about it. And then um, the next night they played the game, and in the midst of this, you may or may not recall, there was this amazing labor strife where they were talking about contracting the Minnesota Twins. Remember this? And so there were all this, there was this contentious feeling, and you had all Major League Baseball, all the high end personnel were together, uh, and they were beginning to try to negotiate out a deal, whatever that collective bargaining agreement was going to look like. And Andy McPhail was working, uh, the former Twins general manager, was working with Bud Selig and Major League Baseball. And Sid was just doggedly at these parties trying to get to McPhail so he could get some kind of an inside scoop on what was going on with the twins. And, and then when he got to McPhail, he wanted to talk to Selig because he knew Selig well, but it wasn't that easy. And Andy was running interference. And I, I mean, it was. <laughs> It was something to be seen. To watch Sid try to work his man. He wanted to scoop on the Twins' contraction, and he was trying to get to Selig. Well, Seelig was the most sought-after man in Milwaukee because the All-Star game, he was the commissioner, and it was in his backyard, uh, and that wasn't going to stop Sid. Um, but, but the next night was the night that they had to call the game when it was a tie. So it's in his backyard and all these different things, and they have to call the game off. Uh, as a tie because they didn't want to use in strained pitchers. And so it, it was, I mean, between the rainstorm and that, it, w- it was not a great moment for Major League Baseball, and it was the one time that Bud was going to have it in his, uh, in his hometown. I always liked Bud. I used to stop by the county stadium there. He had, that's where he had his office, even as a commissioner. And his secretary was the same as uh, uh, Vince Lombardi's. And um, she moved over to him after after uh, Vince left the Packers, and he had newspapers everywhere in the office. He, he you know he he was like reading all the time and trying to figure out what the different beat writers were saying and the columnists and all those things. But it was always fun to visit with Bud. And the other thing I remember about that. Was they had this the greatest moments in uh, from each year one signature moment if they could find somebody to represent that year to be a symbol of it they had the, it was like Mastercard sponsored or something so they were paying for all these people to come in so nineteen ninety one for example Jack Morris was there and Jack was there to represent ten innings Twins win World Series nineteen fifty four was represented by Willie Mays. Willie Mays, great catch, leads the Giants to the World Series. So, so you see, each year had a different, and either, you know, if that person was alive, they could be there, etc. And I remember Sid walking in, and Sid had always told me how Willie Mays, he knew Willie Mays, Willie Mays played here at Minneapolis, and blah, blah, blah. And sometimes you thought that maybe Sid <coughs> exaggerated just a touch. There were times when you would think that, you know, how long, come on, you're 25 years old, how well did you're trying to tell me that that Willie Mays took time and you're down at Nicollet Park, blah, blah, blah. So we walk into this room, and for some reason there's not many media there, but all these unbelievable people are there. And Willie Mays, with God as my witness, turns around and he says, Sid Hartman, you took care of me back in Minneapolis in the 50s. You couldn't get the smile off of Sid's face, man. It was something. I'll tell you one other great story, one other great all-star story that pertains to the here and now when we come back. Mike Max, Sports to the Max, News Talk 830 WCCO. Mike Welch, Tournament Director of the uh, 3M Open will join us this half hour. Uh, But I wanted to tell you one more All-Star story. So we're at this place. Sid and I are at this place. And it's it's, it's a look back in history. And for some reason, it it didn't get the publicity I guess, that um, some of the other events were run the All-Star Game got because we walked in and there weren't many media but there were all these high-end, like I said, Jack Morris, Willie Mays, the list went on and on. Um, you know, Jackie Robinson's uh, daughter, I think, was there representing him. Mean, whatever year it was, there was something. And then they had some ancillary people um, as it pertained to baseball. And one of the people that I ran into, that was you know, he just kind of, I, I don't know what his exact role was in the presentation but all of a I looked at him, I said, I know you. Even though I didn't know him, it was one of those, you know, aha moments where you go, I know, I know you. I just, I know you. You know, like like you get when you see somebody that you've seen on TV or in this case on the big screen, on the big screen. He was not a baseball player. Uh, he was not a manager. Uh, I don't know that he ever played organized baseball per se. But he did play the role of Shoeless Joe Jackson in Field of Dreams. His name was Ray Liotta. And he was, of course, more famous uh, for his Mafia movies than he was anything else. But he played Shoeless Joe Jackson in the movie Field of Dreams. And he just passed away at the age of 67 recently. And I loved Field of Dreams. And and so when I saw him, I said, yeah, we got to do an interview. So I, I remember having a recorder with me. And we went off to the side and we talked for a long time. Did a long interview with him about the movie and about baseball and what it meant to him. It's like, man, this is Ray Liotta, Shoeless Joe, and it was so cool because it was just one of those things that you stumbled into that you weren't even trying to find, and all of a sudden you're amongst all these people that represent greatness in one way, shape, or form, and uh, and he was one of them, and so we talked for quite a while, and I and I and I do believe I probably shared him with it, shared this with him at that time. Uh, that when you talk about the comeback of baseball because baseball had dipped, a lot of people look at 1998 and the home run derby that went on every night between uh, Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa, but I I would take it back a few years and say what really helped bring baseball back just as significant were the baseball movies that Kevin Costner made, Field of Dreams and Bull Durham. Uh, I think that those two movies uh, did as much to romanticize baseball as, and, and became compelling to a bigger audience than just the, the hardcore baseball fans. I think those two movies did something uh, that was significant uh, in bringing back the fans to Major League Baseball after the dips and, and, and the work stoppage, the early 90s, and all those things that went with it. So uh, that's what I think when we come back. Mike Welch, he's running the 3M tournament. It's going to be hot out there. How do they compensate for that? And how do they compensate for not enough big-name players out there with this live tour? We'll ask him all of the above when we return. Welcome back, Sports to the mass. We bring you the best, the most current. The things people are talking about, we're talking about. Mike Welch is tournament director for the 3M tournament going on at the TPC in Blaine, of course, this week. And they have seen a lot between COVID and back since this uh uh, since his tour stop originated here in Minnesota, and he joins us now. Mike, thank you for joining us on the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline. Hey, Mike. Thanks
3: for having me. Pleasure to be here.
1: Well, wait, let's start with the heat. How could, you know? Obviously, if you, if you have a lot of golf tournaments, a lot of them are going to be played in extreme heat. We're just not used to it in Minnesota all the time, uh, But so I'm sure there's lots of protocols in place. But for fans that are wondering if they go out there, if it gets into the 90s, what do they need to worry about? Uh, what are ways they can compensate for it?
3: Yeah, I mean, fortunately, the weather's looking a little bit better towards the end of the week, Maxie, but, you know, we have many cooling areas on course. Uh, many areas that are air conditioned, we have the M Health Fairview Family Care Center for younger families. We have the 3M Science Dome for older families. Both of those areas are air conditioned. Of course, we have multiple concession stands with water and, and Gatorade, but if you bring a water bottle, we do have, courtesy of 3M and LK, our hydration station, which refills your water bottles. And we're trying for 20,000 refills of water bottles, which will help our sustainability platform. So Tons of shade, tons of water, tons of A.C. in air, different areas, uh, certainly something for everybody. So we, we fully expect a big crowd that can have the sunshine, but also some cooling effects as well.
1: Yeah, what's different about a golf stop, too, is that you can move around. So you're, you're not yes. in the bleachers, and, 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 and you are the victim of wherever the sun and, and, and how, you know, how intense it is. You can move around at a golf tournament. You can walk around. You can find shade, and many times when it's breezy, it's not nearly as oppressive as one would think.
3: Today was the hottest day we're going to have all week, uh, and it was closed to spectators today, but there were some, some players' families and caddies' families walking around, and they were saying the exact same thing, Mike, yeah. that you find shade for a little bit, and you're fine. Um, but, yeah, uh, we, you know, it's going to be warm, and, yeah, us Minnesotans, we're we're not too great with extreme cold and, hmm. and, and warmth, but we're going to be okay by the end of the week, it looks like.
1: Yeah, we adjust. We adapt. That's what we do here, for sure. Uh, the live factor, as you see at LIV and, and what it does uh, – you know, Obviously, it can affect your marketing depending on who's going to show up and who's going to be there and all those things. But from where you sit, uh, does it have a lot of bearing on the way you go about your business and setting up a tournament like this?
3: does Doesn't affect the way we set up the course or our tournament one bit, Mike? Does it affect fan perception and consumer behavior? Maybe. You, you, know, you know sports. I mean, sports names and faces change all the time. We're experiencing it in golf a little bit quicker than I think anybody expected, right? Um, you know, there's 13 players that were either on that tour that were in our field last year. Whether we like it or not, it's affecting our field. Um, what I can tell you is that, the quality of golfer in the 3M Open Field this year will not suffer. The the, the Tour, the Corn Ferry Tour, the Canadian Tour, the, the level of talent is at an all-time high. We, I think some of the things we have to remember, Mike, in 2018, the Corn Ferry Tour Player of the Year was Sun J.M. In 2019, it was Scotty Scheffler. Three years later, that kid's number one in the world. And so, who is the next Sun J.M.? Who's the next Scotty Scheffler? And we think that they might be in our field this week. We have some great sponsor exemptions. We have some great young talent like Davis Riley. Uh, there, there are some really Good players in this field.
1: Allowed them to play long, huh?
3: Oh my goodness! I mean, these kids hit the ball hmm. uh, like you wouldn't believe, and and you know our course uh, is is playing firm and fast because of obviously the there hasn't been a lot of rain, Mike. But at the same time, the rough is and the fescue is the highest I've ever seen it. Uh, we had a couple of folks we were talking to on the Monday pro am today that said. I can see the grass. The rough is growing three different ways, so I just—I literally can't hit in the rough. Otherwise, I'm going to be penalized. And I think you know, we started out in 2019 with Matthew Wolf at 21 under par. Last year, Cameron Champ was at 15 under par. So our course is certainly playing a little bit tougher for these pros.
1: Yeah, I heard Jason Day talking about it today, and 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 the anticipation. And how it's kind of fascinating. How the pros anticipate it because they look at the weather forecast, right? And as they're playing around today, they say, "Okay, it plays like this today, but it will play like this on Thursday, based on what we're seeing in the forecast." And you know, you forget about all that that, that scouting that goes into it and the formulas that uh, uh, that go into it, particularly for these golfers when they're playing. You know, a stroke here, a stroke there uh, uh, can mean just about everything. But but when when you when you set up a course like this for a tour stop who dictates what who says uh this is you know from pin placement to you know how you're going to trim the rough easier uh, are there people out there like 8 weeks in advance from from the uh PGA tour who, who tells you what to do and how yeah. to do it
3: There is. It's, it's a, I think it's a great collaboration between three, three parties, Mike. It's certainly PGA Tour, uh, rules and agronomy who come out here, to your point, eight weeks, 12 weeks, eight weeks, and then four weeks. They make three different stops to just check on the course, start to look at pin positions. It's, uh, our friends at TPC Twin Cities who run this course day in and day out. And then, as you well know, there's a certain gentleman, Hollis Kavner, who has a say every (laughs) once in a while on where the pin positions are. And so, you know, I think those three parties, uh, put their heads together and try to come up with the four best pin locations uh, that that they can find on the course, and you know it's it, it's um it's a sort of a weird science, a mad science, um, but there's a method to all the madness. And uh, I saw a, an early pin sheet uh, for Sunday, and let's just say that I think that there's a couple new pins that fans will be really intrigued
1: on, and maybe have
3: not seen before.
1: Do do players lobby a lot to say, hey, on this course, you should be doing this with the pins? I'm not
3: sure if I, maybe I hear so much the pins, but you know, all the rage is, you know, drivable par fours, right? We saw that a lot this past weekend at the Open Championship. Now that course was playing as fast as any course we've ever seen. But, you know, we have uh, a few holes, number seven and number 16, that if you move the tees up, you can drive that thing uh, in one and, you know, potentially have an eagle putt. I think there's some, certainly some feedback from the players around, hey, this is a great drivable par four, maybe not so much. And so I think, again, that collaboration, you know, between Hollis and and a few other uh, entities make those conversations happen. But yeah, I mean, we certainly want to listen to the players. I think that they know golf and know the course the best. And so I, I really do appreciate that
1: relationship. 3M tournament director, Mike Welch is our guest 3M tournament going on uh, all week. Aside from, if you're going to say, well, people like to follow a certain player, you know, name recognition, whatever. Do people, Do the fans in general want to see birdie golf? Do they want to see them challenged more? Uh, what does the spectator want? What have you learned?
3: I think as far as golf goes, Mike, they want to see birdies. You know, I think many of us normal golfers don't get birdies every time we golf. So
1: they want to see what the heck they <laughs> want. want like. to see that. We want to make sure that it actually happens, right? It actually happens, yeah.
3: right? I mean, and what the heck is an eagle? Can we see an eagle? <laughs> so I think that, you know, they certainly want to see that. I, I think as equally as important what our fans or what the fan that we're trying to get to our golf tournament really cares about more than just golf. They want to see good golf, but they want an incredible food and beverage experience. They want incredible experiences for their family. Uh, they want to know that what they're going to means more than something, and you know this very well about our tournament and all PGA tournaments. Uh, we're all charitable endeavors. We're going to give over $1.5 million back to charity when this golf tournament is done on Sunday, and I think people that um, know that a portion of their ticket cost is going towards that is is meaningful to them and so I think that we want to make sure that we're talking about that and highlighting that message so you know I think it's a combination of all three they, they, they want to see great golf and, and, and some good scoring they want a great experience for them their friends their family and they want to know that their dollars going somewhere especially in times where boy dollars um, dollars being stretched more than it ever has before
1: for sure Mike thank you so much I'll see you out there tomorrow and uh, you know Hollis has always promised me that I get a shot at one of those uh, that there's some big bass lur- lurking in some of those ponds and when the tournament's over I can come out and fish it but he's never been true to that uh, promise do I just need to stay on him about that uh, or what Mike no just Mike call me okay we'll your- Yeah, now I know what to do that's why I yeah, brought that up uh, I'll get my 10 year old
3: who knows that lake better than anybody. He'll show you the spot.
1: <laughs> 10 year olds always do. Mike, thank you so much. I'll see you out there this week. Thanks, Maxie. Have you, a good night. You bet. Mike Welch, tournament director, 3M. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk St. Paul Saints baseball to general manager Derek Scherer. Why on earth did they call that game off yesterday? What was that all about? And what's he seeing when Big Miguel Sano gets in the box? We'll ask him about that and much more on Sports to the Max and News Talk eight three zero on WCCO.
0: Okay, picture this: it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road, any road, the steeper the better